Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read from Acts chapter 4. We're talking about suddenly. Acts chapter 4. We'll start in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons, son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter five. But a, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Father, we thank you this morning that the power of the Holy Spirit changes us suddenly. Lord, it can cause us to go from one mindset, one way of thinking to a godly way of thinking. Pray that would happen to us today. Lord, we know we can change habits just by our own sheer will over a period of time, but there's something about the Holy Spirit changing us in a moment. We pray that, Lord. Pray that that would happen today. Pray that we'd be filled with your spirit and it would change us. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. At this point in, in the, in the um, Luke's recording of the Acts of the Gospel, the lights must be out back there too. About, it says about 5,000 men had been saved at this point in time. About 5,000 men had believed on the name of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but we kind of look over this in, the, in Acts as like, oh yeah, every church grows like that. You do realize this church was in its infancy. It would be like going into any town, not even having a building to set up in consistently, and all of a sudden, massive, a massive amount of people start to believe. Now, the Bible records 5,000 men. You know those men had wives. You know they had children. You know that, you know that it was more than 5,000. Total, because now in modern day times, we count everybody. We count your pets. It's like, oh, you're pregnant? We're counting that kid too. 
so this has been a remarkable growth after, after, the, after the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter two. This is a remarkable explosion of people believing in Jesus. And what happens is we see a, a transformation in the people who were proclaiming it. It's not, it's not the same Peter. It's not the same John. It's not the same. Yeah, it, it, physically it looks like the same people. Physically they, they have the same name. But they're operating in a totally different manner. And, and it happened in an instant. This wasn't, this wasn't a 30-day change your habits plan. This wasn't a make your life better by, by going along with what everybody else is doing. This wasn't, hey, I came into church, I like the people, and I stopped cussing a little bit. Because the issue today is, is that we have more, I believe we have more behavior modification than filling with the Holy Spirit. Is that, can I say that? You can probably barely hear me, so I can say it anyway. So here's, here's what the church has tricked itself into in modern day, that we can have behavior modification that looks like we're full of the Holy Spirit, but still be void of it. So if I come into the church, watch how this works. I've, I've talked about this for years. You come into the church. So in the church, there's a certain culture, right? Right? We don't drink a lot. At least this church. We're generous. We don't cuss a lot. There is certain rock and roll music that we're okay with. And certain rock and roll music that we're not okay with. Can we be honest? You 2 is totally fine. So what happens is, you get invited to church and you start attending. And then you realize, oh man, these people are happy. These people are, they seem like they got it together. They're not complaining all the time. It's sick. This is a nice place. I like it. They've got lights and if you came today, sorry, but they've got, they got a smoke machine in the back. I asked them yesterday, I was like, is the smoke machine gonna work? So all of a sudden, you start acting like the people you're around. Anybody remember high school? Doesn't change when we're adults. Okay, these people don't cuss as much. You know, I'm not gonna cuss as much. So we start having behavior modification without really a transformation of the soul. And then all of a sudden, we look saved because we modified our behavior. The issue is that behavior modification only goes so far. Because when I lose my temper, <laughs> if the Holy Ghost ain't in there, it ain't in there. Do you know what I'm saying? Because if, if the people from the church aren't at the house when I lose my temper and the Holy Ghost ain't at the house when I lose my temper, somebody's getting it. Don't raise your hand if you can associate with that. So what happens is, there is a real transformation that happens on the day of Pentecost. These people didn't, didn't all of a sudden wake up and go, okay, okay, Peter, walk us through the 30 day. We're gonna change our habits. We're gonna become more generous people. So we're gonna start as nothing against small groups. 
We're going we're gonna to start a connect group on how to be more generous. So over the next three months, everybody in the church is going to figure out how to be more generous. No, if you read scripture, it, went, it said they went from one way to another. One way to another. Didn't seem like there was any training. Didn't seem like, and you said, well, they were hanging around Jesus. But we're, I'm going to point out to you their conversations with Jesus. Because you can hang out with Jesus and still not be transformed. Because the same people that went Hosanna in the highest were some of the same people that were probably standing there going crucify him. Just because you hang out with him doesn't mean you've been transformed by him. Judas hung out with him the whole time. So the power of the Holy Spirit transformed 11 of them, of the disciples, about 120 people in the room, absolutely dramatically transformed them in an instant. It was behavior that they hadn't learned, behavior that they hadn't worked on, behavior. It was just in an instant. And we've lost that a little bit in the church. Not a little bit. Let's be honest. We've lost it a lot in the church. So watch this. Let's walk down through this. Here's some things that I found out about this scripture. Do you realize it's easier to care for people when you're not fighting? It's easier to care for people when you're not fighting. That's why you stay away from some people. Because it's easier to care for them from a distance. (laughs) I get aggressive when there's no sound system working. Watch this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. What did he say? He just said 5,000 men had come to faith in Christ and he said they were of one heart and one soul. And here's what I know about that time. Whatever the man said in the house happened. So he didn't have any kids running around disagreeing. Oh, I don't believe in, you believe in Jesus. That's it. And so all of a sudden you had these families that were, that all of a sudden were in one accord with each other through faith in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it had changed them, and now they're in one accord. There is unity brings something that you can't get any other way. Psalms 133, behold, now how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. It's like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robe. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commands his blessing, life forevermore. So that's where we paraphrase, where there's unity, God commands his blessing. So watch this. They were, they were extremely generous people after the filling of the Holy Spirit, but they were able to be generous because they were in unity. Listen, it's really hard to take care of people that you constantly fight with. So right up front, before you read about generosity, you read about unity. You read about, hey, they were all together going the same way, thinking the same. They were of one heart and one soul. And then when somebody lacked something, it was like, oh, these were together. And what happens 
listen to me when I say this. What happens in our communities now is Satan is trying to split us over and over and over and over again. And when he splits us, we stop taking care of each other. And the church can't allow that to happen. So that was easily what was happening before the coming of the Holy Spirit. You had all kinds of different groups and different little little ideas about what was happening. All kinds of different people groups and they were all doing their own thing and they were all, but all of a sudden, what everybody witnessed was the baptism in the Holy Spirit and then the church was one. And then what they witnessed is when they became one, they took care of each other. So Jesus said this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He said, everybody you'll know, everybody will know that you're following me if you love each other. No one will believe we love the people outside if they don't find us in unity inside. Now, now watch this, because I know what some of you are thinking. We just talked about fighting last week. And I know some of you like to fight inherently. I'm, I'm around some of you. So I know that you're not afraid of fighting. I know that some of you have aggressive personality types. I know some of you are passive aggressive. Unity does not mean we are always in agreement, does that make sense? How many of you have been married more than five minutes? Okay. I've been married more than five minutes. All right. What you find out after about the first five minutes is that we're married. Come on. But we might not always agree. <laughs> How many of you have been married more than 10 minutes? Yeah. You realize you're married, but you may have to lay your head on your bed and pray that you're filled with the Holy Spirit so that you don't say something that could ruin the whole thing. Amen? So, so the idea here is what some people, what, I'm going to just be real honest with you, what some pastors do is they, is they, they preach authoritarianism because they just want everybody to agree with them and they call that unity. There were disagreements in the New Testament church. You keep reading. But they were still unified that Jesus was the Christ and this is the direction we're going. So we can disagree on particulars and still take care of each other, amen? I just wanna make sure we're all clear. I don't care if you disagree with me. The Bible says that sometimes we have to fight to figure out who's right. Don't you love that? I'm so thankful that he slid that in there and said, listen, it's just going to be, just disagree sometimes. I like gray paint on the wall. You may, li you may like other colors. It's gray though. <laughs> just as long as we're in unity. How do we treat each other in conflict? How do we believe the best about each other? Do we forgive? Are we patient? 
are we kind in conflict? I'm constantly telling people, I just choose to believe the best about somebody, even if they're disagreeing with me. Even if it seems like they're doing something against me, I'm not going to just automatically believe they're doing it on purpose. You want me to help you out with your marriage? Your husband may not be doing it on purpose. Your wife may not be doing it on purpose. She may, but she may not. Are we doing all the things that Paul writes to the Corinthians? Are we patient? Are we kind? Do we, do we forgive? Are we doing all those things? Because generosity comes out of unity. Generosity comes out of a heart that's unified. And so it's easier to care for people when you're not fighting. And when I say fighting, I don't mean disagreeing. I mean, I mean what Satan is trying to do to us now. What Satan is trying to do to the country. So the most beautiful thing that happened on the day of Pentecost is the church just went like this. And basically said, try to bust this up now. The Holy Spirit has filled us. We've had an encounter with God that is unexplainable. And we believe that we're together now. And we've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be things that happen that nobody understands, but it's because God has transformed us. Now watch this. This is another one of my little fears. Generosity always accompanies the gospel. When you look in scripture, watch this. When you look in scripture, you don't see generosity outside of the gospel. They say, well, I don't even know what that means. Why is that a big deal? Because if the church only focuses on being generous without the gospel, that's a temporary fix. Do you get what I'm saying there? I'm all for handing people food but if they don't know that Jesus is the one that, that redeems them, the food is a temporary fix. And so what you, what you read here is that the apostles were focused on the gospel going forward and generosity was a result of that. So in verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. Everybody can agree 34 comes after 33. Oh, it's up there. Go back. Don't go to 36 yet. Go back again, 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. Stop there. What were they doing? They were proclaiming the gospel. What was their main concern? Proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What the American church has made a mistake of is we will provide without mentioning the provider. And so we've been, we've been tied up in making sure everybody, listen, I wish I could take everybody on a trip around the world and find out what people are happy without. Because watch this, I have, I have sat beside a 60-year-old woman in Kenya 
who grew up in a village with no electricity, no cell phone, no nothing. And she said, we didn't know we were poor until somebody came and told us. And so we've got this idea that we need to run around and give everybody everything we have, and yet we don't give them the gospel. If they got a cell phone, they'll be able to read the Bible out. Make sure they know about Jesus before the cell phone comes. Because the devil is in the cell phone too. So what the apostles do is they don't get it mixed up. They say, our main goal is to make sure people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our main goal is make sure they know that Jesus was the Messiah. And then verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. We have to get back, church, to when we hand out food, the gospel goes with it. When we hand out a rent check, the gospel goes with it. When we hand out an electric bill, the gospel goes with it. When we hand out, when we serve our community, we can't just serve absent of the gospel or that's a, temp, that's a band-aid on the issue. And the modern day church has become so concerned with everything but the gospel going forward. So we say, well, look how many people we fed. Did the gospel go with all those meals? Because what I read is they didn't do one without the other. Yes, everybody had what they needed, but the gospel, the gospel went forward. Amen? So how is it, how is it in communities that churches can feed and feed and do and do and do and do and do, and then nobody comes to Christ? We got our priorities mixed up. We wanna, wanna look generous without the gospel, and that's a Band-Aid on our society. It is true that people won't care what you know until they know that you care. But it's what's behind the care that counts. We need to be prolific in telling them why we care. We need to be prolific in telling each other, this isn't because I this is because Jesus saved me and filled me with the Holy Spirit. Because before I met Jesus, I was stingy. Amen? I'm going to prove this to you. Watch this. Extraordinary generosity always follows an extraordinary empowerment. Extraordinary generosity follows extraordinary empowerment. Here's why I know this. When the disciples were following Jesus, they were arguing over position and what they would receive. I've told you this before. James and John's mother came to Jesus and said, could you let one of my sons sit on the right and one on the left? What is she saying? Give them position when you get in your kingdom. Make sure they're taken care of. I want to make sure they got a good spot. I want to make sure they got a retirement. I want to make sure they got all the perks of being, being in, in charge. Peter looks at Jesus after he says, man, it's really hard for rich people. Peter says, hey, what about us? We've given up everything. What are we going to get? What are we getting? Fast forward, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and what are they doing? Giving everything away. You hear no mention of position or authority. You hear no mention of what am I going to get. It's instantaneous. Instantaneous. So watch this. 
Like, I believe in self-help things. I really do. It may not sound like it, but I read, I read self-help books sometimes. I chuckle when I read them, but I still read them. Because we do need behavior modification. You can't just be an idiot the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? You gotta, you gotta we, we could change habits. We could change the way we do things. I work on that all the time. I'm trying to figure out what is the best way for me to operate. What is the, how do I need to use my calendar? All those type of things. But there's something, generosity and the way we treat each other people is a really hard thing to just learn but it's an easier thing to impart. And you see it in the disciples. What position will we have and what will we get for this? Baptism in the Holy Spirit and they give everything away. You know how you make missions go all over the world? Fill more people with the Holy Spirit. You know how you make sure people are fed? Fill more people with the Holy Spirit. You know how you make sure people are taken care of? Fill more people with the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? It's a lot quicker than a six-month small group to teach you how to be generous when the, when the next time you look at the website for the new Ford truck, you forget about generosity. But the power of the Holy Spirit could do things in us that no self-help book can even touch. There wasn't any class on how to be generous. There wasn't, any, there wasn't any of that going on here. All that they talked about was this was them before and this is them after. And we're not even that far away from it. It wasn't that like, oh man, like six years later, they finally got it. Jesus ascends in chapter one, chapter two, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter four, they're giving everything away. Wow. Crazy. That's crazy. It says that they would sell land. Just, hey man, I got this piece of land. My house happens to be on it. Not sure they were selling their house yet. There was not a needy person among, among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought it to the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now I need to make some clarification statements here, okay? Because some of you are gonna hear this today and you're going to think you need to go out and buy 60 acres and have a commune and all of your closest religious friends are going to go out and live on it. That doesn't work. This is not a command to sell everything you have. I have heard pastors preach about everything you have to the poor. Like, I don't think that was a doctrine that went all through scripture. This wasn't something that you saw over and over and over and over again. This was an extraordinary generosity for an extraordinary period of time. Now listen to what was going on here. You got to know the backstory if you're going to know it, why this is happening. So watch. There was famine in the land. They were, <clears throat> some of these people had, had permanently moved into Jerusalem because because of what was going on with the gospel and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, their jobs had turned, changed totally. They went from being fishermen to preachers. 
So there wasn't the sustainability as far as income. They were, they were, they were being persecuted financially because of what they believed in Jesus. Could you imagine being a good Jewish citizen had a shop and then all of a sudden all of your neighbors you found out you believed in Jesus was a Messiah. That's going to hurt your wallet. So all of a sudden this pressure was on the church. But what happened was the extraordinary empowerment of the Holy Spirit caused them to change and not look at position and go, hey, listen, if somebody needs something, what I have is theirs. Now this wasn't a doctrine all throughout scripture to go sell everything you have. You're not allowed to have a nice car, not allowed to have a nice house. You got to sell everything and give it to the poor. Well, guess what? We all be poor then. That's not what it's saying, but it's saying in extraordinary circumstances, the church came together and make sure everybody had what they needed. So here's a, here's a lesson out of this. <clears throat> When suffering happens, the church ends up suffering the least. Not because we're less impacted by it, because we're more generous in it. Did you hear that? When suffering happens, we go, no, 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 no. These are my people. And so then the world looks from the outside to the inside and goes, what in the world is going on in there? And then we say, the gospel is going on. Would you like to be a part of it? Amen? So this happened in an extraordinary period of time with extraordinary empowerment. I wrote this. If you find yourself debating positions and material goods, ask for more of the Spirit. Because when all the chips were down, the church was growing, but they, were being, but they were being financially persecuted, the answer was, we'll just give it away. We'll just make sure everybody has enough. Now, here's the only problem with that. Every time God empowers the church to do something, Satan does a counterfeit. So watch, Barnabas, who we know goes on to equip Paul to do everything that Paul did and and, and, and just wrapped his arms around the first century church and, and kind of helped encourage that, Barnabas sells a piece of property and lays it at the apostles' feet to help other people. Watch what happens. Isn't it funny how trends start in the church? It's like, well, I saw a sister so-and-so do this, so I think I'm going to do it. So there's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they're sitting in their living room one day and they hear about Barnabas. Hey, no, Barnabas sold a piece of land. Gave it, laid it at the apostles' feet. Man, the whole church knows about it. I think they're gonna get invited to the big dinner. What if, what if we sold a piece of land? And Ananias went, hey, listen, we got that land, but I don't want to sell all of it. We'll just make it look like we sold it. And we'll sell it and we'll keep a little bit for ourselves, but we won't let anybody know. We'll say it was a down market. And we'll, we'll sell it, we'll keep half of it, and then we'll take the rest in just like Barnabas did and we'll lay it at the apostles' feet and everybody go, oh, you guys are so good. So that's what happens. Only the first century church was a lot better at picking out liars than we are today. 
So what happens is Bar, uh, Barnabas does his deal. Then it says Ananias and Sapphira got all inspired by the devil to go in and lie to the Holy Spirit. So they walk in, they sell a piece of land. He keeps the half of the prophet, walks in, lays the other half down at Peter's feet. And Peter says, hey, listen, bro. You got that little twitch thing with your eye when you're lying. And I can tell you're lying right now. But the problem is you're not lying to me. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And I pray to God this never happens in our church. But in that church on that day, he dropped dead. And it said hours later, his wife came in and propagated the same lie. Every time God does something incredible in the church, Satan tries to come along with a counterfeit. They say, well, how does that even apply? Watch this. I got to be real careful, careful, careful here. Do you remember before social media how we really cared for each other? <laughs> remember that? Remember how you show up at somebody's house? Some young people in here are like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you coming to the house? Remember when the church used to go to people's houses? Remember COVID-19 before when we used to lay hands on people and pray for them? I'm not trying to be mean here, but how many of you know hashtags don't heal people? How many of you actually know that? Hashtags don't heal people. Likes don't heal people. Sharing doesn't heal people. Sharing doesn't care for anybody. Hashtags don't. Hashtag the church cares. No, you don't. Hashtag. Watch what has happened. Satan has successfully shifted our focus from caring for each other to making it look like we care for each other. And we live in a generation where if all I have to do is go on Facebook and say like or share or, oh my, OMG, I love you so much, I'm praying for you, I don't even know what that means, by the way. It looks like the church cares, and yet people suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer. So what has happened here? It's not that much different from Ananias and Sapphira. I know people aren't dropping dead over social media posts, but here's the issue. Satan has been able to fake the church caring for people by, by convincing us it happens all over the world. Something crazy happens. Like, well, I hashtagged it. Well, good for you. That's the least, the least you could have done. It's the least you could have done. The absolute, positively least you could have done. I pray God blesses you that you moved your thumb up two centimeters to hit a like. What's the problem with the church? When the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit, it was a tangible care. It was a, we're going to make sure that people are cared for. It was a tangible generosity. It wasn't a social media statement. It wasn't a, it wasn't a counterfeit care. 
And listen, I'm not against all that stuff, but I'm saying if Satan can convince us that that's all we have to do, then people suffer. If Satan can convince us that all we have to do with our social ills is post something on Facebook, if all we have to do with our social ills is post something on Twitter, then we have been duped and we have been rendered powerless. And what Peter basically looked at Ananias and Sapphira and said was that if you're going to lie, this means nothing. If you're going to act like this is the same thing as this, then we're done. So we can't allow that. It's not the same thing. It looked like the same thing, but it's not the same thing. And we have to be careful as a church. The more modern everything gets, the more we have to be careful not to miss the idea that God had called us together to actually care for each other, to actually provide for each other. So if I can run out and be as stingy as I want and hashtag to make up for it, that's not the gospel. So what happens? They become suddenly generous. They become suddenly caring for each other. Suddenly. All this stuff happens. And sometimes it shocks me. Sometimes I have to keep coming back and shaking myself and saying, Chris, you know what? The power of God can't transform people in an instant. And I know I know that some people come in and they have to meet Jesus over a period of time, but I'm praying now more than ever before, more than ever before, that the power of the Holy Spirit would transform people suddenly. Because I'm going to tell you something. This country needs a sudden encounter with the Holy Spirit. Suddenly. We don't have time to flesh it all out and figure out who's right. We need a sudden encounter with the Holy Spirit. Stand to your feet. If Satan can convince the church that counterfeit care is enough, he's won. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. You should feel good about it. I'm preaching to the choir. You're an extremely generous people. You're extremely caring people. You say, why did you preach on that this morning? Because every choir needs a reminder of what key they're in. This isn't a beat you up Sunday morning. This is a reminder that the power of the Holy Spirit can instantaneously change people and not to lose faith in that. When you look out across the scape, the the, the scene of of America and you're on Twitter and you get all depressed and and you're you're watching the news and you're like, ah, the power of the Holy Spirit can transform lives even in the worst riot can transform people in an instant. But what we have to do is we have to do it right here for the transformation to happen out there. I want us to make sure as a church that we do it right, that the gospel goes with every meal, that the gospel goes with every check, that the gospel goes with every ounce of help and that it's real. It's not just some fake social media thing that, that this church is based on real help. Amen? So can we pray like that? Can we just ask God in these times? Lord, we need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we need the world to see the church as one. Not divided by by anything. The church as one. 
Lord Jesus prayed that. Jesus himself prayed if they would be, if we would be one like him and the Father. So we pray that today. We pray not just this church, Lord. Lord, but the big C church would be one. And the world would see us caring for each other regardless of race or socioeconomic status or location. Lord, that the the things that are going on in this world, Lord, would unify the church under the power of the gospel that we proclaim and that we would care for one another with reckless abandonment and that an extreme situation would require an extraordinary power. We ask that you give that to us today. We ask that you empower us the way only you can empower us we pray because of that, the world would be different. Jesus' mighty name we pray and everyone's amen and amen. Come on, give him praise one more time.